0: scripture this morning is from John chapter 10. Uh, Again, we'll work through the whole chapter, but we'll read a few verses uh, to begin. Please stand for the reading of scripture. We'll read verses 7 through 18. John 10, 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. May God add his rich blessing to reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word, and we pray... That by the power of your spirit you would speak to us. That your sheep would hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. And know him and follow him in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In his name, in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. The good shepherd. In the passage before us, Jesus turns to one of the most common And ancient themes in scripture that the Lord is the shepherd of his people. And it is an appropriate metaphor. We are very much like sheep. Philip Keller in his book, A Shepherd Looks, at Psalm 23, which I expect many of you have read. Uh, He said, it is no mere whim on God's part to call us sheep. We are so much like sheep that it is embarrassing. He said, just as sheep will blindly, habitually, and stupidly follow one another along the same little trails until they become ruts that erode into gigantic gullies, so we humans cling to the same habits that we have seen ruin other lives. Being stubborn creatures, sheep often get in the most ridiculous and preposterous dilemmas. He said, I have seen my own sheep greedy for one more mouthful of green grass climb down steep cliffs where they slipped and fell into the sea. Only my own shepherd staff could lift them out of the water back onto solid ground again. One winter day, I spent several hours rescuing a ewe that had done this very thing several times before. He said... Her stubbornness was her undoing. He talked about the defenselessness of a sheep. He said that a a sheep can get turned on its back, and it's called a cast sheep, and it cannot turn himself over. It'll just lie on its back, and if he's not rescued, he'll just kick until he dies. Sheep go astray. Sheep are constantly in danger. They constantly need to be corrected, guided, And saved. And I expect that's why Jacob, when he was an old man and about to die, when he called his sons in to bless them, his sons from whom would come all the tribes of Israel, when he blessed them, in Genesis 38 and verse 15, he said, God has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. That's the first time God in Scripture was called a shepherd. Jacob needed guidance, correction, defense all his life, and he knew it. Then later when Israel had become a great nation, King David himself, a shepherd, realized that he was really a sheep and the Lord was his shepherd. But later when David was long gone and the kings and priests of Judah had ceased to care for the flock, the prophets promised that though the flock of Israel was abused, neglected, misled, taken advantage of by corrupt shepherds, that one day the Lord would come to save his people. And the Lord promised, I myself, will be the shepherd of my people. And so here in John chapter 10, the Lord fulfills his promise. The Lord himself came to be the shepherd of his people. That's what Jesus is saying. I am the good shepherd. Now let's look at Jesus, the good shepherd. First in this passage, you see the character of the shepherd. His character. Look at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now later Jesus will call himself the shepherd, but first he calls himself the door. All who came before him were thieves and robbers. He says there were false messiahs in that day. And the leadership was very corrupt. The priests and those that ran the temple and King Herod, the leadership of Israel. He's not saying everyone who ever lived before him were thieves and robbers, but the leadership was corrupt. And Jesus contrasts himself with these thieves and robbers. They take from the sheep, but Jesus gives. To the sheep. Look at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Others came to profit off the sheep, even taking their lives. But Jesus came to give life to the sheep. Look at verse 11. I'm a good shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd gives. He gives everything. He gives his own life. The thieves take. It reminds us of Ezekiel 34. You remember the Lord said, I am against the shepherds of Israel. You haven't searched the lost sheep. You haven't bound up the wounded. The flock is starving and you're fat. But I, the Lord, I myself will come and take care of my flock and I will seek the lost and I will bind up the wounded. You remember we saw last week, this comes right after the man born blind and Jesus healed him. And you remember he bore witness to Jesus and the Pharisees excommunicated him from the synagogue. They dragged his parents in and intimidated them and then they dragged him in and interrogated him and harangued him and then they cast him out. But well, you remember Jesus heard that he'd been cast out and Jesus went and found him. You see those men who ran synagogue, who cast this man out, who beat up and scattered the sheep, they are the thieves and the robbers. They're not taking care of the people. They're not taking care of the flock. They're beating them up, profiting off of while sheep starve. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I've not come to take, but to give. And Jesus makes an exclusive claim. We can't get around it. Look at verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Look at verse 9 again. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. I am the door. Anyone who tries to get in any other way is a thief. Anyone who enters by me will be saved. Jesus says plainly that he is the only way. As in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's not being mean or obnoxious. He's saying no one else will be as kind to you as I am. No one else will give you what I can give you. No one else will lay down his life for you. You look at all the other religions all over the world, and they all take. You've got to earn something. This is what you have to do. You do this and do it right and you'll achieve whatever salvation religion offers. But Jesus, and Jesus alone gives. All other religions say, you do this. Only Jesus says it is finished. They're all takers. Thieves and robbers. Jesus alone is a giver. You see the character of the shepherd. Secondly in this passage you see the self-sacrifice of the shepherd. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says, I lay down my life. I sacrifice myself. And then you see the illustration he gives there. The hired hand, or the authorized version, the hireling, who works for the shepherd, he's there to get a check. They're not his sheep. He does not have a personal interest in the sheep. The wolf comes. What happens? He gets out. Found out there's a resource officer at that school in Florida who was what Jesus called a hireman. He saw a wolf coming, but he wouldn't go in and save the sheep. But Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. He sends nature programs on television Programs, they always play with your emotion. You know, they show you some cute little animal, like a polar bear cub, and get you all attached to the cute little polar bear. And then there's a, there's a starving polar bear trying to get a walrus, and they, they try to make you feel torn. A polar bear is so cute, but I don't want the walrus to die. And one time Anna and I were watching one of those programs, and, and that's what had happened, and she was pulling for the polar bear, and I was pulling for the walrus. The walrus won Rare event in my life. Do <laughs> you know in those wildlife programs, nobody ever pulls for the wolf? If there's a wolf, it doesn't matter how hungry he is, he just needs to die. You know, we have a sentimental idea about the Good Shepherd. We think of him as an old man with a white beard that's too long and a stick that's too tall and he's holding cute little sweet-smelling lambs in his hands. He's petting them and later he's going to go home and wear some crossword puffs. That's not what makes a shepherd good. You remember 1 Samuel 17? King Saul, who's supposed to be the shepherd of Israel, says... To the boy David, you can't go fight that giant, Goliath. And you remember what David said? He said, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. That's what Jesus means when he says, I am the good shepherd. I do not run away from the lion or the bear or the wolf. I kill it, And he does it through self-sacrifice. Four times in this passage, Jesus says, I lay down my life. I lay down my life for the sheep. He said, I do it voluntarily. I lay it down. I'm not overpowered. Verse 18 he says I have the power to lay it down and I have the power or the authority to take it up again. Jesus was the only person in history to die of his own free will without taking his life. The scripture says that he offered his spirit and cried out with a loud voice, not a whimper, asphyxiating on the cross like everyone else did. No, they did not take his life. He laid it down, and he took it back up. Isaiah 53, 6 says, you know it, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is saying, I am the one upon whom God would lay the guilt of his sheep that had gone astray. I will offer myself to the Father. The shepherd became a lamb for the sheep. And in so doing, he destroyed the power of the devil. Revelation 12 calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. He accuses us of sin. And it says he has been thrown down, and the brethren he accused conquered him. How? It says they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Everything we could be accused of was laid on Jesus. He bore it. He paid it. The death of Jesus Christ destroys all the accusations of the devil. Through his self-sacrifice, he destroyed him that had the power of death. You see the character of the shepherd, you see the self-sacrifice of the shepherd. Third, you see the abundant life of the sheep. Look at verse 10, the end of it. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Again, I like to... Authorized version says they may have it more abundantly. What is the abundant life? Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. See, that's the essence of abundant life. It's being known by Jesus and knowing Jesus. This relationship. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as my Father knows me and I know my Father, my sheep and I will know each other. They will hear my voice all over the world and they will listen to my voice. Look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. Now go back to verse 16. I have other sheep that are of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. The sheep hear his voice. They know his voice, and they follow him. Do you hear? of the good shepherd. Do you recognize it? I don't mean you hear voices in your head. I mean in his word. You know, there's one positive thing that can be said about sheep. They know the voice of their shepherd. Now, Philip Keller said that when he got his first 30 ewes, his neighbor said, now you must put your mark on them. And he knew what it meant. Every shepherd marked his sheep with a distinctive notch in the ear. He earmarked his sheep. And Jesus here says that all of his sheep have a mark. And this is the mark of a true sheep of Jesus Christ. They hear him. They recognize his voice. They know his voice when they hear it. That's why I won't preach before praying that you will see and hear Jesus in spite of my inability and sin. You don't need to hear me. You need to hear the good shepherd. And hearing his voice creates the most beautiful relationship He says in verse 15 that we know him just as the Father and the Son know each other. That's the abundant life of the sheep. See, the character of the shepherd, the self-sacrifice of the sheep, the abundant life of the sheep. Fourthly, you see the security of the sheep. Look at verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, growing up as a child, I was taken to various different churches with different families. At one point, as a teenager, I had been persuaded that a believer could fall away and lose his salvation. My neighbor growing up was a retired Southern Baptist preacher. He was up in years, and I used to cut his grass when I was cutting mine. When I got done, he and his wife would generally invite me in the house and give me a glass of iced tea, and we'd visit a while. One time when I was maybe 17 or 18 years old in his house visiting with him, we discussed this, and I told him that I thought that one could lose his salvation. And he quoted John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will pluck them out of my hand. And I quoted something from Hebrews that said you fall away. And again, he quoted John 10, 28. And I said something else. And then he opened his Bible and showed me John 10, 28. And he said to me, it's eternal life. If you can lose it, it is not eternal. He was right. And I repented of my heresy a long time ago. You ever worry? Will I hold out? Will I cross the finish line? It's not about us. In a verse 28 says no one can pluck them out of my hand. In a verse 29 says no one can pluck them out of my Father's hand. Here's the question. Who is stronger than Jesus? Who is stronger than God the Father Almighty? They're the ones holding us. I won't say which one. will be tacky. But I read the following statement of a denomination we would all know of. It said, quote, since man. Continues to have free choice, it is possible because of temptations and the weakness of human flesh for him to fall into the practice of sin and make shipwreck of his faith and be lost. Who in their right mind would want to join a church that believes that? You could never know. You know, that. Theology, it won't sing, will it? You know, we sing, "Oh, love that will not let me go." What would they sing in that church? Oh, love that might not let me go as long as I'm good enough. We sing, "Let thy grace mount like a fetter, bind my wandering." heart to thee. You cannot sing that if you can lose your salvation. If God binds you to himself with a fetter, with a chain, you're not going anywhere. I love that last line from How Firm a Foundation says, The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never No, never, no, never forsake. But you cannot sing that if you can lose it all. I think it was John MacArthur said, if I could lose my salvation, I would lose my salvation. If it's up to me, I will lose it. But it's not up to me. And it's not up to you. He holds on to us the Father's hand, the Son's hand. And we are secure. Do you see the character of the shepherd? Self sacrifice of the shepherd, the abundant life of the sheep, the security of the sheep, and fifthly and finally, you see the relationship of the Father and the Son. Look at verse 30 again. I and the Father are one. You know, there's a thing that runs throughout the Gospel of John. We've seen it over and over, Jesus claims to be the Son of God. And then the Jews get mad and accuse him of blasphemy and pick up stones, and Jesus gets away. Here in John 10, at the end of it, we see the same story. Jesus and the Jews get into the same argument. Why does John do this like a broken record, repeat the same thing, the same story, essentially, in every chapter? Jesus and the Pharisees and the Jews getting into an argument on the fact that they say he's committed blasphemy by claiming to be the Son of God. John is telling us, dear reader, here's what you have to stand for. Here's where you must draw a line in the stand. This is what you must fight for. Jesus is the son of God. He is fully God. You must fight for it if you have to. Why? Well, it's true of course. But you see, John is telling us our salvation and security depend on the relationship of the father and the son. You are in my hand Jesus said. You are in the Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That's the basis of our assurance. It's the basis of our salvation. Do you worry, will I be saved? Don't look at yourself. Look at the relationship of the Father and the Son. All who come to Jesus do so because the Father gave them to him. Would the Son throw away or lose a gift from the Father? Look at verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Now, Jesus is not saying that he earned the father's love by laying down his life. No, the father loved him long before that. But some of you parents have watched your children suffer. And there's something in you that goes out to the child. If you watch a child handle adversity with great Poise and dignity, your heart swells with a tremendous pride. And when Jesus laid down his life for the sheep, yes, his father forsook him, but in some way. Father was full of pride in his son, he was well pleased with the work of his son, and he loved his son for doing it. Not that he didn't love him before, not that he could have loved him any less before, but he is the father, and Jesus is his son, and as his son laid down his life, the father's heart went out to him. And that's why John brings up the father and the son again And again, our salvation is not based on us. It is based on the Father being pleased with His Son. And we will lose our salvation when the Father ceases to be pleased with the Son. And since that will never, ever happen, we will never, ever be lost. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.